You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning. If you're new here, my name is Dave, and I've been sharing uh, some of the messages over the last six weeks with Josh as we've looked at the issue of conflict resolution, which uh, as we all get closer and closer to Thanksgiving, we have some of those opportunities to think, oh, I don't know how that's going to be because we're not as comfortable in some of the family settings or other settings as we like to be and we, we get anxious. But um, I want to encourage us that hopefully over the last you know five or six weeks as you've been able to listen more and more about what is God's design and God's plan for relationship and how we relate to one another and deal with disagreements, that you've begun to see the hope and the plan that God gives us, that he actually has guidelines that allow us to imitate and be Christ-like in how we treat one another and address difficult situations. And we've spent the last five weeks talking about how conflict invades different areas of our lives, our families, our, our, our workplace, uh, just individual relationships. We've talked about how we can actually follow God's design of leaning into conflicts and healthily looking at our own contributions and talking with one another. Today is our last in, that ser- in this series of six, so hopefully m- most of you are saying, thought we were going to deal with this for the rest of the church here, uh, but we're not. Uh, we're going to end just in time for the holidays and, and be able to... Uh, uh, move on to other things, but the topics that we've been talking about and that I want to fo- go over today are something that are going to be part of your life regardless of what time of year it is. And today I'd like to shift our focus from what do I do in the conflict I'm in? So if I'm in disagreement with somebody, what do I need to do to lean into it? How do I need to look at it? Instead, look at it from the context of what do I do when I'm in a community and I see someone else in a conflict? You know, we live in community as a church, or we live in community as a family, or we live in community at work. And each of those communities have instances where we see people or interact with people and others are in conflict. And we have a choice. We have a choice to sit back and say, well, I'm glad it's not me. I hope they get it figured out, and I'm going to move on with my stuff. Or we have a choice to sit down and say, what does God call me to do to help them? And it's that helping them that I want to focus on today a little bit about being in community as God designs it to to, to help one another. You know, we've learned over the the last couple um, weeks that God's design for us in community and in conflict is that we work together. And the verse that 
um, just jumps out at me is Ephesians 4. And I'll read it through. I think it'll be on the screen here. And bear with me. I'm going to, I think my doesn't totally match now that I look at it. So you may hear more from me than what you've seen on the screen. It's just I picked it up earlier. But in Ephesians 4.12, Paul tells us, he says, prepare God's people for works of service. So that's what we're doing. We're thinking about how does God prepare us for works of service in helping somebody else address a conflict in their lives. And here's why. He says, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into the head that is Christ. For him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Think about those verses and God's design for our community. He says that he's going to work in us to bring us together to do his work. And he uses words like, so that we may reach unity in the faith, so that we may be the whole body joined together by every supporting ligament. And as we grow and build together, that that implies that we all have a role here. We all have something to do as we work in unity and help one another address the situations in our lives. Some of us aren't allocated to only doing the building up and the working in conflict, and others get to sit back and say, well, my job is something different. I don't have to do that. But no, we're called to be, as a whole, coming together and to working together. And he applies this design even in the issue or in the topic of reconciliation. If you look in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18, again, Paul says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the word to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So this design that we read about in Ephesians gets played out in the ministry of reconciliation, the restoring and rebuilding of relationships. And as we read this, Paul doesn't say, some of you will be reconcilers and involved in the ministry of reconciliation, and some of you won't. But he says, All of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. His design is that we all be engaged with each other and that we be engaged in helping each other with those situations where we need help understanding why we're in conflict or why we're in disagreement with someone. The reality is that every one of us become the hands and feet of God. We're his instruments. He does the work, 
And, he, and as he works through us, we've talked about the fact that our working out, being his instruments, is the very example and the very thing that God says the watching world should look at and determine whether God's truthful. Is God's promise of loving us and sending a Savior something that can be trusted? Is he somebody who actually has a message that makes sense and goes to our hearts? And he tells us, you remember we talked in John, that he says, the watching world gets to make that judgment based upon the unity of his disciples. That's how important the ministry of reconciliation is. Now, most of us have had the experience in a community of being brought to faith or build, being built up in your faith. I'm sure all of us here can think back and say, so how did I become a believer? How was I influenced by people around me? And some of us can actually remember a kind of what I call a Damascus Road or a mountaintop experience where you were brought to faith in a very dramatic and immediate situation and I give praise if if that's how you came to faith. Others of you have come to faith because you've had someone disciple you. Maybe it was a pastor or another ministry leader who intentionally poured into your life and walked with you as you gradually came to accept Christ as your Savior. And again, if that's been your experience, I praise God that you had somebody like that in your life. But my guess is that most of us have not had those kinds of dramatic experiences as we've grown to to love Christ and to know who we are as his children. But instead, most of us have had an experience where we've just been in community and watched others around us or had others in the community come alongside of us and walk with us during difficult times and try and lean into us. And gradually over time, we've begin to experience and understand who God is in our lives. As I was preparing for this today, I was, uh, this week, I was thinking of this, and I was thinking, so who has that been in my life? I don't have a mountaintop experience that I could tell you that on this date, you know, God sent a lightning bolt and I suddenly saw who Jesus was. Mine was gradual over time. And I think back of probably the most influential man in my community was my father, who just simply walked with me through a lifetime. And he walked with me and tried to lean into to my you know, failures and my successes and to give me his insights. But I've realized over time that my father wasn't perfect and that oftentimes his attempts to disciple me were overshadowed or influenced by the very struggles and difficulties that he was having as an individual. And there was a time in my life where I knew that he loved me, but my thought was, well, the way he shows it doesn't feel that way all the time. Sometimes it's overly harsh. It's not as caring as I think he needs to be. But I realized that even in those weaknesses, he never stopped leaning in to discipling me. And even in his inability and inadequacies, God never stopped 
showing me where God was in his life and in my life. And so realizing that we're in community with hurting and inadequate people is part of reality. The people that you help and the people who help you aren't going to have all the right answers. But it takes people who want to stay in community and want to keep leaning in. The other person in my life who's been instrumental as I've tried to be more Christ-like and see what God has for me is my wife, Carol. Some of you know her, and you don't know her as well as I do, but the reality is we're like every other couple in here. We have our struggles, we have our arguments, we have our disagreements, and we don't always handle them well. But I know that God has given her into my life and mine into hers to help us see him more clearly. And there are times where I wish she had the right answer, and I wish she had the perfect timing, and I'm sure she feels the same way about me, and we don't. We don't have the right timing. We don't see the same thing. We don't say it in the loving way that we know we should. But the difference is, is we, there's a commitment that even when we don't get it right, I know that Carol will keep walking with me. That she'll stay and be that voice to help me say, what is it that you want me to know here, God? She doesn't run from me. And that's what community is about, is people willing to lean in and go the long course. To stay there, even when it's hard, when when it's difficult, when you don't get it right. The fact is, is God uses hurting people, inadequate people, to help hurting people and inadequate people. That's his design. It brings glory for him to do his work through people who need him. So how do I help somebody who I see in a conflict? Now, what I want to talk about specifically today is a situation where you're not part of the conflict. So you're not the one that's directly involved, but you see it. And this happens all the time in our families. You see maybe uh, a sibling or a parent or somebody else having difficulty with each other. Or it happens at work. You're watching two coworkers have a difficult time together and not, not be able to work things out. It might be here at church where you watch someone else within the church actually having a struggle with each other, and you know it, how do you help? And that's what I want to talk about. It's called being a coach. Think about what it means to be a coach. Uh, I'm assuming most of us are familiar enough with, with sports, and uh, some of you are going to actually probably watch the Timbers play this afternoon and are thinking of what, how that's going to go. And actually, soccer is a pretty good example. If you watch a coach on a professional soccer game, what is that coach doing most of the time during the game? He's either sitting in a very big, luxurious chair on the, side of, on the sideline, or he's just standing there watching and watching. Now, unlike me, when I coached my, my kids when they were really young, I don't see the coaches screaming and yelling and running out in the the field and lining people up. He's just watching. And why is that? 
Because the coach has already done his job in helping them prepare and talking to them in advance of engaging and helping them think through, so how am I going to execute this play? What are we going to do as a team? And so when it comes to actually execute the, the play, the coach is on the sidelines watching and giving encouragement and occasionally speaking into it or asking good questions or reminding them. That's our role as a coach in conflict resolution. We're not there to solve the problem for the people who are in conflict. We're not there to do it for them. We're there to reach in and help guide them and give them the tools that they need to do their own conflict resolution. So how do you do that? Well, the first question that I think most of us would ask if you're watching somebody else's conflict and you feel this need to step in and maybe say something, hopefully the first question you ask is, why me? Why am I the one that's being called to this situation? I would imagine that most of us would feel totally inadequate or we feel overly adequate. We either say, I don't have enough skill, enough training, enough ability. I can't do that. I don't know how to ask good questions. I don't know how to help them think about their disagreement. Or we think we have the answer for them. And so we're quick to run in and give an answer, solve the problem. So the first question you should ask yourself is, why me? Why should I be involved? You know, Jesus gives us a lot of, a lot of, time, a lot of different situations to think about of when we get involved. In Matthew 5.23, he tells us that we need to get involved in conflicts when we, peop- we know that people have offended, uh, that we've offended someone else, he says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember your, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. That's how important it is to God. He would rather have us lean into conflict than give our worship to him. It's a priority issue. He knows that we need to be reconciled. And so he wants us to lean in. Or when someone has offended us, Matthew 18, 15, where said, if your brother has sinned against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. So again, it doesn't matter whether I'm the cause or I'm the recipient or I'm the observer. We're called to go to each other and then be in relationship and work through those conflicts. In Galatians 6.1, he tells us, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. So again, as a coach, I see people caught in a pattern where they can't get out of their disagreements. And I'm called to come in and gently help them with those. So how do I go about doing this? There's a couple things that I would ask you to to think about as you think through the processes. How do I help someone else? And probably the most important one is starting from the standpoint of asking yourself, am I at a place where I can do this? Have I examined my own heart first? 
Now, it's easy to think if I'm not part of the conflict, then I must not have much to examine. But generally, if we are coming into a situation thinking mostly about ourselves or thinking that none of what we're going to share actually applies to me, we're not, we're not effective, and we're also not obedient to what God's calling us to do. So the starting place, whether it's in your own conflict or helping someone else, is just that self-examination. Am I listening to God in my life? Am I involved in his word? Do I read his word daily so that I know that he's speaking to me? Am I looking for his guidance or am I just doing what I think sounds good? So start with that starting point of your own examination, but then ask yourself, why do I want to get involved? Why do I even want to lean into somebody's conflict? Now, there's some of us, and I'll talk about myself. You can decide whether this describes you or not. That sometimes we see a conflict and our tendency is, I want to get involved because I just want these people to see their sin and get right with God. Boy, if we could just straighten them out, their life would be so much better. And that's my motivation. My motivation isn't so much about being in relationship as it is to help them see the light. And when we take that approach, we tend to be people who are always involved in someone else's issues. Always ready to have the the answer. And if that's your motivation, I'd ask you to check yourself. I was talking this morning, and I think most of us in conflict have a a natural tendency to not want to have to engage. It's a lot easier to just say, man, can't we just avoid this conversation? And I think that's natural because it's hard work and it's uncomfortable. But if we find ourselves overly anxious to engage and correct someone, that means we probably are missing the love and the Christ-like attitude that we're called to do. And so you should ask yourself, is my motivation correct? The reality is that our motivation must be the same as God's motivation in our lives. And if you think about what is God's motivation to engage in our conflict, in our, our, our situation, and it's very simply put, it's, it's so that he can express his love for us. So is our motivation in helping someone else with their conflict coming out of Christ-like love? And what does that look like? You know, in Romans 8, God actually describes his love and the level of sacrifice that is demonstrated by his love. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The reality is that God's love for us existed and comes to us without us doing anything. He tells us over and over again that he loves us enough to bring us back into relationship when we don't even think we need to be in relationship with him. He gave his son to take our punishment when we didn't even ask for. That's the depth of his love 
and the depth of his sacrifice. His love is love that is so focused on us that we can't miss how important it is. We all know the verses in 1 Corinthians 13. I want to read them because these are the verses that describe the love that motivates God to be in our lives and should be the motivation for us to get involved in someone else's life. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's the description of God's love for us that motivates him to bring us into reconciliation. And as people who are ministers of reconciliation, people who are called to help others seek reconciliation with one another, we're called to exhibit that same Christ-like love to them. So I need to ask myself, is my engagement with the people I'm trying to help, does it exhibit this kind of love? Do I approach people with a patience and kindness as Christ does me? Do I come to them not proud or thinking, well, at least I'm not like them, so, but I can help them? Or is it one that identifies with them and says, I am just like you? And I want to help because Christ has helped me. Do I always protect in those relationships I'm helping with? Do I trust God? Do I trust people to listen and to be motivated and to be able to hear God? Do I trust God enough to let him do the work and not me? Do I hope? Do I persevere? That's a big one. Do I persevere? The very essence of perseverance means you don't quit too soon. But you stay engaged in it. You go back the third and the fourth and the fifth time. Whenever it's needed, you don't give up because God doesn't give up on us. So I would ask you, as you have an opportunity to engage in somebody's situation and think about, can I help you? To ask yourself, why am I doing this? Am I motivated by Christ-like love? Go back and read 1 Corinthians 13 and say, is this the love that underlies the motivation that brings me into this situation? And then as you play out, as you act on that type of love, ask yourself, how do I begin talking to somebody when they're in a conflict with another person. How do I enter into that conversation? Now, I want you to think through uh, with me a little bit how we engage into people's lives. 
This material comes from a book by Paul Tripp. It's called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, and he talks about the concept of entry gates, you know, the, the way into somebody's relationship or into their problem. And he makes the point that it's critically important that as you help somebody, you figure out, how do I get into their situation in a way that is helpful? So think of it this way. Hopefully this, this will make some sense. If you're trying to get into a house, it's all locked up, and you're looking at it and you're saying, I need to get into the house, what's the entryway into this house? And if the only thing you see is a window that is closed and locked, but you know you need to get in, and you're going to force your way in through the window, you're probably going to break the window. It's not the normal opening that we go into houses through. You're going to cause all kinds of disruption and trauma because the way you've looked for an entry into the house is one that has been more traumatic than going through a door. So how you see you entering that situation is going to impact how you enter. On the other hand, if you know that I want to enter a house and we normally go in through doors and we use keys and we unlock them and we walk in and there's not the same trauma, we've entered into that house in a way that is helpful and, and actually gives us the ability to, to enter safely and calmly and have a much better time in the house. Well, the same thing works in our relationships. If I look into someone's situation and the only thing I see is a problem and I enter to solve the problem, it's likely that we're going to be seen as helping simply as problem fixers. Everything's going to look like the problem. Too often, we have the ability to listen for words in people's conversations that define their problem. We hear, hear words like, greed, or adultery, or selfishness, or, lo- or um, theft, things that describe a problem, and then we immediately go and define that relationship and the fix by the problem. And we are able to give them everything that we know about why that problem's not good and how God says to fix it. And we actually think that if we just give everybody the solutions, point them to the Bible, that's all they need. The problem's been identified, we gave them the fix, everything's good. But the reality is we haven't entered into their relationship. We haven't come in with the love of Christ in a way that allows us to minister to what they need. The entry gate into helping somebody is to understand what is the person experiencing in the situation or the problem, not the problem itself. Do we take time to actually ask, so how are you doing as you are in this conflict with your parents? Is it upsetting to you? Is it causing you anxiety? Why do you think that is? Understand what they're, pro- what, what they're experiencing, not just what the problem is. Because when we try to understand their experience, we begin to understand them. And we begin to speak to what is 
actually motivating their conflict, help them to discover and think it through. In 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, Paul tells us, he's giving us some directions. He's telling us what we should do with people who are struggling. He says, we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. The reality is most of us in our lives, we don't think closely enough to figure out who are we helping. And instead of warning the idle, we just see that they're idle and we encourage them. An idle person probably doesn't need encouragement. They need warning. But if we don't understand who they are, we're going to give them something they don't need. He says, encourage the timid. But rather than listen to the person and understand their experience and understand why they are so reluctant to engage or why they're struggling with this conflict, we think they're just being lazy and not leaning into it. So we warn the timid. This is where we are not as helpful as God calls us to be because we don't understand where the person is. We just think we identify the problem. We've had this experience very real in our life as a family. And um, about a year ago, I think you may have heard me share that one of our our sons had had a a really devastating diagnosis of having a, a brain tumor. And it was about this time last year, we were struggling with this concept that our son was going to undergo surgery to remove a tumor, and we had no idea exactly what that would be. And he was struggling significantly on trying to process this. Why, why me? What's this going to be like? All the things that happened to it. And as he did, we realized that he was, he was just asking the questions of, I don't know if I'm going to survive the surgery. What if I die in surgery? I don't know if I'm going to come out of surgery the same person as I went in. I don't know if I'm going to be impaired for life in some fashion, that I'm not going to look the same, I'm not going to be able to think the same. The fear and the anxiety was just huge. We made a mistake, though, of only looking at the problem. And we interpreted that his problem was he just needed to figure out what was going to happen at the end of the surgery. And we didn't ask the questions, how are you processing this? How are you feeling about this uncertainty? And so in the course of us trying to enter his problem through the problem, we gave him all kinds of great assurances. It's going to be okay. God's going to work with you, going to walk with you no matter what the result is. God is faithful. He'll always be there. All very true statements, clearly what God would have us know, but not statements that entered Philip's experience. He wasn't looking for us to just tell him everything's going to be okay. What he was looking for was, I'm lonely. I'm scared. I'm afraid it won't be okay. Will somebody talk that through with me? Will somebody help me deal with this conflict 
of why I'm here. And we missed an opportunity. We didn't lean in the way we, I think we were called to lean in. And then the result was he was forced to carry it himself and figure it out on his own. And while we sat out here and said all the right things, nobody really walked with him in his experience. And as a dad, and I think back, how scary that must have been to know that people care about you, but don't ask questions that get to know what you're feeling. And as a result, he became more closed, carried it himself, went into the surgery very terrified, and having to pretty much carry it on his own. That's how he was feeling. Now, God, in his grace, has allowed us to have this conversation with Philip and to learn where we failed, where we could have done it better. And God, in his grace, has allowed us to understand what he's been through and for him to hear our regret and confession for not coming alongside him. But I think it's an example that too often we want to rush in and just solve the problem and not walk with the person. We want to walk in and tell the two people who are fighting, just get over it. You know, if you would confess and you would forgive, it would be over. Instead of sitting down and saying, so what is it that is causing the turmoil that you have with each other? What is it that you're thinking about? What is it that you're thinking? You're, you're processing as you go through this conflict. The reality is that God calls us to do what he does for us. God knows who we are. We're reminded in Hebrews that Jesus knows exactly what we feel because he went through exactly what we do. He's not like a high priest that doesn't know us. He's somebody who experiences all the temptations we have. And because he knows us, he's able to actually walk with us. Do we know the people that we're asked to walk with? Are we willing to get close enough to get to know what they're afraid of? To do that, we have to ask questions. And that's the second key part of being a coach. Is to get away from giving answers and start asking questions. We're not called to simply find a Bible verse and give somebody an answer. I think we're called to ask questions that invite people in to discover what God would have them know, to walk that process of discovery with them. What does that look like? Well, it's really the difference between walking with someone, arm in arm, or pushing or pulling someone. Generally, when we want to give people the answers to their conflict, it's because we're either pushing them to the answer or we want to pull them to the answer. We have the result, and we're going to make sure it happens. I don't think that's what we're called to do. What we're called to do is walk with them and discover it. Now, some of you may have the tendency that I do. I think debating is the way we help people get to the right answer. And I make this mistake with my family all the time. They have, somebody says, this is the way we should do it. And I think if I just give them the contrary position and let them know what the other 
quote, view is, that suddenly they'll get it and we'll have a good discussion. But the reality is I like to win too much. So I don't just give the contrary position. I persuade. And so I spend all my time and effort trying to tell them what's right and wrong instead of saying, let's go find what God says is right or wrong. We're much more effective asking questions that invite people to answer, like, so what do you hear God telling you right now? What scripture is God bringing to mind for you? What are you thinking about? Those open-ended questions are, are much more inviting and tell people, I care about you. I want to know what you're thinking and are much more effective. And as we do, we bring to them God's word. And when, when God gives us a scripture to share with them, it's not just an answer. It's an invitation for them to explore it, to think about what God is saying. Now, Josh and Royce have taught on how do we use scripture. And as we close, I want you to re- just be reminded, this is a, a graphic that I, I think has been shared before, that when you share a scripture, you're helping people to ask these four questions. To say, what is true? What's something not true that I believe about this issue? What should I do? What is the scripture telling me to do? And what is the scripture encouraging me not to do? That's a discovery process. And so as you help somebody through a conflict, ask questions and invite them to consider God's word with you. And say, let's look at this. What is God telling us here? And this is a tool you can use to help them. Now my guess, most of us are at this stage saying, can't happen, I don't know the Bible that well, I'll never know what to say, this is overwhelming. And I would invite you to not be overwhelmed by your own inadequacy. God will bring to you the verses that he wants you to remember. Your invitation is to be in his word regularly. And to be aware of what he's telling you so that when they come, you recognize it. God will give you the ability to ask good questions if you want to just lean into their lives. And so my invitation as we close is that you would look around and as you see people in relational conflict, that you wouldn't just kind of skirt the issue and say, wow, that just looks messy but that you would lovingly imitate God and show the same love for them of leaning in and say, I want to know how I can help. I want to share with you. I want to talk with you. I want to discover God's plan with you. And just walk with them as they do that. This morning we're invited to remind ourselves again at the table, to remind what God tells us about himself, of his incredible love, And so as you come to the table, ask yourself, is there someone in my life right now that I'm called to lean into and coach? And let it be a reminder that God has the ability and has already equipped you to be his instruments. He has already selected you to be his instrument. And he will do the work of healing the relationship through you.
Let me pray for us as we, as we close. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you do not leave us with such an important task without your help. I know that you have promised your Holy Spirit and, and that you, your Holy Spirit walks with us moment by moment. Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes to the situations where you want us to be your representative and that you would give us both the desire and the heart and the words to be able to help people and to let your healing work through us. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.